the Anesthesia Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to this Twitter live stream. My name is Nikki De Beer and I'm the CEO of uh, the Association of Anesthetists and I'm joined tonight by Dr Seema Agarwal who's a consultant at the Department of Anesthesia at Manchester University NHS Trust and an honorary senior lecturer at Manchester University. Um, and Dr. Kareem El-Baghdadli, consultant, Department of Anesthesia and Perioperative Medicine at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital, and honorary senior lecturer at King's College London. Um, both, I'm delighted to say, are editors of Anesthesia, now ranked the number one journal in its field in the world. Um, we're here to talk about the position statement from the editors of Anesthesia on equity, diversity and inclusion. And to kick off the discussion, I'd like to um, ask Seema, what prompted the editors to write and, and publish this statement? Hi, Nikki. And hi, everybody. It's really lovely to be here this evening. Thanks very much for inviting us. Um, so I suppose the thing that really prompted us was just looking at the stats and seeing what the extent of the problem is that we know at the moment. So if we look at kind of things from the GMC and from um, the Royal College, we know that women, for example, make up 40% of the anaesthetic workforce. But we also know from some work that's been done by Alana Flexman in the Canadian Journal, we know that first authors for pieces that are written for academic journals at Francesia, only about 20 to 30% of those first authors are women. And that's the same when it comes to writing guidelines, it's probably about 30% authorship of women. We know that peer reviewers, so people who review those articles that come to journals, about 20 to 30% of those are women. When we look at speakers and meetings, only 25 to 30% of those women. So women are underrepresented throughout all these fields of academia. We also know from the GMC workforce surveys, if we look at their primary medical qualifications, so where you actually graduated from medicine, about 50% of doctors in the UK graduated abroad, and about 40%, um, that's male doctors, and about 40% of female doctors graduated abroad. But we don't see those people represented in academia, in panels of meetings, in the authorship of papers. And so for us, it was clearly an issue to do with equity and diversity and inclusion that we really wanted to address and try to start to make a difference in academia and anaesthesia. Thank you, Seema. Thank you. Um, and if I could just go over to Kareem now and just ask, what do you think, what are the key points in the statement? And um, can you talk a bit about its scope? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. And 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 uh, like Seema, I'm really pleased to be able to talk about this paper because um, EDI, EDI is so important. And the more we talk about it, the more it, it actually is in the forefront of, of, of our thoughts and our decision making. And I think the scope is really important for us to consider. It's really what we wanted is is uh, is the scope to be something within our control and within our remit to drive change. And, and that's why, you know, I, I, the position is what us as editors and focusing on the editorial side, um, uh, our our interests and our drive for EDI. Um, our key 
ambition and our key aims uh, was really to drive improvements in EDI, uh, and that's in academia, uh, particularly in the scope of the journal, and so authorship, research conduct, dissemination of work, and of course, leadership within the journal. But of course, if we're able to do that within the journal and within what is in our remit, then we are actually starting to, to build the foundations for others to grow and for others to develop and for that to, to spread beyond just our own individual Remit. Uh, and in terms of the scope, there's something really important that I do want to highlight that people have talked about before, and I think it's really important to consider. We talk about characteristics, and some characteristics we have a specific focus on uh, in, in our position. Um, uh, and that's not because any individual characteristic is more important than others, uh, um, uh, because ultimately we aim to really uphold these EDI principles for all characteristics and the policies, no matter what their characteristics are. And that goes beyond just um, ethnicity or gender. It includes age and sexual orientation, disability, religion, uh, uh, you know, and even financial backgrounds. So supporting authors from low and middle income countries, for example. So, so the scope is, is really, we're trying to drive academia as a platform for driving leadership and change within our specialty and hopefully within medicine, regardless of the characteristics. And in terms of the key things that I think that we wanted to focus on, we really wanted to focus on some key areas. One was recruitment. And, and uh, for us, it's been really, really important to, to ensure that EDI is at the forefront of our decision-making when we are recruiting to editorial board members and associate editors, for example. And I think that we've been doing this without actually putting it on paper um, uh, as, as clearly defined as we have now over the recent few years. And, and an example that, that, uh, that we quote in, in the paper is the um, uh, proportion uh, of women and uh, ethnic minorities within our editorial board has increased significantly over the last five years or so. So we need to think about EDI within our recruitment practices. Uh, we need to think about EDI within all of our, our activities as well. So for example, we, we do lots of dissemination activities, lots of public engagement activities with the journal. This is one of them, for example. Uh, and what we want to do is to make sure that in all of our activities, we are considering EDI. So we really, we will not have a manual. Uh, um, we would rather not have a, a session uh, than have than have a manual because uh, I don't think in 2022 it's appropriate for the voice of single gender uh, um, uh, to 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 be heard. It's it's just completely inappropriate. And so even these sorts of activities that we're doing, at least we need to think about it and drive change by saying we are not going to be doing manuals. And we find that, and I've seen this in conferences, that um, uh, unfortunately. You know, there's real underrepresentation in in speak, public speaking, and there's real underrepresentation uh, um, uh, in in you know speakers and chairs, etc. And we need to be a, a voice for change. And and as a journal, we want to drive that in all of our activities. The next thing was 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 about was about leadership, uh, and what we need to be doing is we need to be equitable. So so giving people the right tools to grow into positions of leadership. And that's because, you know, a lot of people, no matter what their characteristics, what their background is, a lot of people really, really are exceptional leaders, but they just have never been given the right platform, the right tools to grow. So one example of that might be saying, you know, our editors, how we can make it uh, um, 
less of a burden to be an editor uh, at the journal. And maybe we could think about how we structure the time that the editors are spending if they have uh, uh, caring responsibilities or maybe summer holidays, they've got children that they need to look after, for example, um, uh, how, we, how we ensure that maybe we don't give the, those editors manuscripts to handle over the summer, for example. Yeah. So we need to think about how we can facilitate and and uh, be be vehicles to for leaders of all characteristics, regardless of background, sexual orientation, disability, anything. We need to be that vehicle. Uh, and, and finally, authorship, and that for us is something crucial. And uh, um, Seema and I have you know talked about this a lot. Um, uh, that we want to be able to support authorship groups in uh, growing the diversity of uh, those involved in research. And by collecting data, uh, by gathering information on who the authors, characteristics of authors that uh, um, are sending us the, their work and that are involved in research, by collecting those data, that is a really important first step. It's a first step to knowing who is doing the research. It's a first step to knowing uh, uh, the characteristics of those involved, those in leadership positions in research. Uh, and then ideally, I mean, if I'm informed that, that my research uh, uh, group and my authorship group is, uh, is comprised of all the same characteristic, the same gender, same ethnicity uh, um, uh, in all of our positions, that'll be a, a, a red flag for me. That'll be an alarm bell and I'll be really uncomfortable. And I'll really, you know, I'll take that information that has been passed on to me and I will want to think about that. And I will want to make changes myself in my own research team to try and be equitable as, as equitable as possible. So I've talked a lot and I'm really sorry for talking a lot, but the question was really, really broad. And I, you know, I didn't choose it. I blame Mike for that. But really recruitment, all of our activities, leadership and authorship. Uh, uh, and and they're, they're the real things that we're working really hard and hope to, to work hard to improve. I don't know, Seema, if you had anything that you wanted to add to, to any of that. No, I mean, I think it's important to kind of look at the reasons why some group are underrepresented in academia and I think if you look at that you see that there are problems there that I mean specifically for women there may be problems with family and childhood child responsibilities but I think there are also institutional barriers which are preventing certain groups from progressing in academia that might be because of you know implicit bias um you know there's that's kind of there's also problems with allocation of work, which is that kind of unpaid work. So if you look in a department, for example, you might find that women do a particular type of work. They might do education, for example, whereas it's men that are doing more of the kind of academic work. They're doing more research grant proposals. And I think there's an implicit understanding that women do these kind of soft topics, whereas men do the kind of more sciencey hard topics because they're better suited at that. And I think that kind of thing we need to try and address as well that's a kind of further barrier to getting certain groups involved in research. Absolutely and um, just picking up the point about data it's absolutely key isn't it as a first step as you described Kareem. So Seema you've kind of touched on my next question there a bit really which was about the uh, barriers to underrepresented groups. Can you say a little bit more about that do you think? Yeah I mean I think it's important to us to kind of think about how we're going to address those barriers. And there are obviously institutional mm. 
things which we can try and address, but we can't address whole, wholly. But there are things that we do within the journal that we would like to see kind of expanded. So I think one of the things that we're really proud of is our mentorship scheme. So we have mm-hmm. trainee editors that come and spend time with us. And I think that's a really important first step for them to start to understand the editorial process, to think about themselves as editors. I think one of the problems that you have when you see an editorial board, if that's just a list of white men, you don't see yourself as an editor. You can't see how you progress into that role. So I think they're not only seeing that we've got a broad diversity within our own editorial group, but to also come and spend some time with us, actually see what the job is and actually realise, actually, yeah, that is something I enjoy doing. That's something I can do in a completely non-threatening environment. And I think that's something that we've become really good at in in anaesthesia. In our particular journal, we have formal mentorship schemes. We invite people from all over the country, regardless of any kind of um, ethnic background or diverse background, to come and spend some time with us, to enjoy being with us and to see what our work is. I think it's also important to try and improve access to conferences. So I think a lot of people, particularly women, particularly people with children, don't come to conferences because it's very difficult to organise that kind of thing. And so I think one of the things that's been very positive in the pandemic has been having um, virtual conferences. So people are able to attend from home, which kind of helps with the childcare responsibilities. It does take away that networking opportunity, which is so important when you're trying to do research. So I think also trying to if we can possibly try and have childcare facilities at conferences. I know some of the surgical conferences have started to do that. So you can actually take your kids with you, drop them off, go and enjoy the conference, to have those networking opportunities that allow research to flourish and then go back to your kids. So I think that's really important for us. And I think peer support is, is so important to find someone in your, in your department who will mentor you, who will support you, who without without pressure, without feeling that you've got to perform for this particular person, but also have that kind of soft support as well. So if you're struggling, if you haven't got time to get everything done, to have that kind of more understanding support, I think those things are really important to help to try and encourage other people into academia. Absolutely. I think it's it's those sort of practical steps that we can take. So one of the things I was really pleased to see today that in our upcoming trainee conference, we have a parent baby room, which is, again, one of those sort of simple things that you that will really make a difference to pe- to making the conference accessible for people. Kareem, did you have anything to add on the um, barrier side of things? No, we talked about language, didn't we, earlier? We were talking about the language that's used sometimes. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Um, uh, we, you do hear this sometimes. If you're Seema uh, and me were, were talking, we we've been in meetings in the past where we'd hear people say, "Oh, he's one of he's one of my boys. It's fine. He's one of our boys. It's fine." Um, and I think that we need to be thoughtful with the, the words that we're using and the language that we're using, because when you hear he's one of my boys, uh, that that might make someone think, OK, so so I'm not I don't identify as a he. I don't identify as a boy. I don't know what boy is, but but anyways, I don't I don't I don't identify as a boy. I'm not part of this group. So therefore, I can't really understand or empathize or, 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 you know, be on the same platform or level as this individual and his boy, whoever that may be. 
we need to think about our language and it's it's evolving it's iterative we're changing we're learning every day you know edi is something that changes very rapidly uh, and that's a good thing it means we're learning and developing all the time uh, but i think choosing the language that you use is really really important and it may sound simple it may sound like a comment like he's one of my boys or he's one of our boys is just a comment but you've got to think about how that comment may be perceived by someone who isn't he isn't boys isn't your right and and i think that 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 is a really important barrier for us to overcome it is choosing the right language definitely yeah okay so things um have changed quite a lot over the last few years and obviously the focus now is very much on this as it should be what do you anticipate might change in regard to edi in the future and academic anesthesia is that is that for me or is that for sima i think that was for you kareem if that's okay <laughs> that, that, that's okay um what do i anticipate or what do i hope oh oh well both both um i hope that uh perhaps um edi is almost something that we no longer really have to talk about because it's just part of our everyday practice and it's just not even a question anymore uh very much like uh smoking indoors you know we don't even talk about smoking indoors anymore uh, because you just don't do it it's illegal we had a transitional phase where people were like oh i've got to smoke i'll go outdoors but now we don't even we don't even talk about it and and it would be my my dream would for for it to be that um we don't talk about edi because anyone who uh, has the interest the abilities to to grow in leadership to grow academically to grow as an editor to grow as a speaker regardless of their uh, uh, uh characteristics or background is just completely able to and there you know there's uh, equity in access there's diversity in our specialty and everyone feels included that would be what i hope to see uh, in the next 10 years or so Will it happen? I think uh, I think within our journal, we are going to do everything that we can. We will fight tooth and nail to make sure that uh, EDI is just completely part of everything that we do. Um, uh, and, and that's our responsibility now. Uh, that's SEMA's responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's every editor uh, in the journal's responsibility now to, to drive that change and to make EDI just part of what we do. And Seema, what are your hopes and, and um, aspirations? Um, echo entirely everything that Kareem's just said. It would be great to live in that, I think Obama called it that post-racial world, where mm. we, the people, colour of people's skin, I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be lovely in an ideal world. But I think, as Kareem said, for us at the journal, our ambition is to put EDI bang in the centre of everything we do to make sure that when we write guidelines, that we have diversity on the guideline writing committee, that when we represent ourselves at meetings, when we have panels that we have included, everyone that we can think to include, to make sure that actually that's at the center of everything we do and that no one feels excluded from us. 
that's all I think we can do as a starting point. And then as Karima said, these things are growing, language is changing, the way people are perceived is changing. And we hope that as years go on, we will learn ourselves from our position statement. We know that on Twitter, there've been, I mean, some negative comments about our statement, which is entirely appropriate. It isn't perfect. We are learning with everybody else. And we hope that we stimulate discussion, we stimulate change, and we ourselves will change as time goes on as well. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. As you say, this this position statement is a first step on that journey, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. We 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 know it's not perfect. We spent a lot of time writing it, a lot of time changing it. And we know that some of the language we use isn't what other people would use. It was very, very difficult for us, but we thought it was important to make a first step to show our intent and we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Corinne, did you have some? Did you have something to add there? No, I I, I really do do agree with that. Um, uh, I think words are words are quite easy. Um, uh, it's easy to say, you know, we believe in EDI. It's easy to to put things up on websites and say these are our beliefs and and we support this. Um, uh, it's easy to be reactive. Um, and and respond and say yeah i agree i support that um the hard thing is to be proactive the hard thing is to translate those beliefs into actions um and that is a real significant challenge that i think a lot of people face a lot of um uh, organizations a lot of people in leadership positions they face that 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 translating that belief in EDI to actually something active, tangible actions. That's why we have a position statement where we wanted to be direct, where we want to say, we're going to take actions. These are the actions that we're going to do and we're going to take. And we recognize that this is a first step and we recognize that this is going to change. But hey, we start with these actions. And I'm, I'm very confident that we will take on these actions, we will learn, we will realize that we probably got some things wrong. Uh, let's try and adapt, adjust, improve. And then we will be proactive yet again in the future when we revise this position statement, revise our understanding and take action again. So I think words are, are, are easy, um, actions are hard, but this position, um, uh, it's now on paper, it's now on Twitter and you can't go back on Twitter um, uh, <laughs> so, so we are going to have to be proactive and we're, we're going to, to fight to ensure that EDI is front and center of everything that, uh, that we do. I just want to say one other thing, which is about the data. And so this relates not only to the data we're collecting as part of this position, but also the data collection that we're doing as part of the association, because at the association, we're also trying to monitor, um, our membership looking at diversity and there have been a lot of negative comments a lot of people worried about why we're collecting this data and so i wanted to try and offer a little bit of reassurance for both the association members and for people who are submitting to the journal so the data that we collect is going to be on protected characteristics that are set out in the equality act and the reason we're trying to collect this data is to make sure the association to make sure that we are representing our members as best we can. And we can only do that by knowing who our membership is. In the same vein, when we're collecting data for the journal, 
we could we don't know how well we're doing with our EDI unless we're actually monitoring it. And the only way we can do that is by you giving us like your data. That data in the association goes to the association membership and they will look at that to make sure that we're trying to look at our membership properly. In the journal, this will go to the editorial coordinator. It doesn't go to the reviewers. It doesn't go to the editors. So they don't know who's written the paper. It purely goes anonymously to our editorial coordinator who's going to collate it all. And we will analyze it year on year on year to see how well we're doing against our position statement. But I would just like to try and reassure you that if you're thinking you're going to send your journal, your paper to us, and oh my God, they're not going to take it because they're going to look at who I am and say, no, we're not going to know any of that anyway. That all stays very much confidentially with the editorial coordinator. Thanks, Seema. Seema, that's a really important clarification. And, you know, completely agree. Collecting the data is the first step. You can't turn anything into meaningful actions until you can, until you know what, what you're dealing with. And I think those meaningful actions are the things that turn the words into something more sustainable, meaningful, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and positive change. Um, so thank you both so much for joining us, uh, me tonight, us. <laughs> uh, I just wonder if there's anything, um, any final thoughts or remarks you'd like to make? Well, I just want to say that how lucky I feel to be part of the editorial team at Anesthesia. I mean, we're obviously going strength to strength, and I think that's partly due to the leadership that we have from Andy Klein and how he has mm. tried very hard to recruit a very diverse editorial team that have different strengths. And, you know, we have people now from diverse backgrounds. We have people who are very interested in low and middle economic countries. And so I think that, you know, I feel very lucky to be part of that team. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I also echo that. Um, there's been some really interesting comments on Twitter about SAS doctors and how important it is to get SAS doctors uh, involved in research, particularly because they're such their their protected characteristics or their characteristics are really quite diverse. Um, and and I echo uh, Seema's thoughts that we really um, that the journal has really worked hard. Uh, the leadership from Andy has been amazing, um, uh, and we will continue to evolve and improve. I, I, I guarantee you that we will continue to evolve and improve. We will try to make sure that people from as many diverse backgrounds as, as possible have an opportunity, regardless of if they're SAS doctors or trainees or consultants from LMICs, from various ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations, different genders. The journal is, is, is here to actually try and um, empower and support as many people as possible uh, to, to really drive improvements in, in what we do ultimately in our clinical practice. Uh, and, and I think that we, we, will, we will get there together. Yeah. Just, uh, sorry, Seema, go ahead. The paper that's got the EDI statement is now free to view. So please, if you've got the chance, download it, have a read of it. Feel free to comment and send us all your criticisms. We will look forward to hearing them. <laughs> Thank you, Seema. Yes, that's right. It's free, it's available now and free to free to download through Wiley Online. So, please do please read it. Welcome comments. As we said, this is a learning exercise we're we we're, we're doing here, and you know you don't we don't just tick the box. EDI done. This is an ever ever evolving thing. So please do get involved. We really like to hear from people. So thank you, thank you so much, and um, thank you everyone to, for joining us on the Twitter sphere. Um, I hope it's been informative and useful for you and um, 
Look forward to seeing you again soon. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>